Hey guys, it is good to see you all. Uh, yeah, I'm thrilled that you chose to be here tonight. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is David, and uh, I'd love to meet you uh, after, but uh, I just want to let you know, welcome. I'm so glad you're here, and we're back, right, after spring break. You guys excited to be back? Okay, okay, yeah, so we're not uh, longing for the days of having a break, you know, so we're still, we're excited to, oh, okay, never mind. I don't know. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, uh, well, I'm excited that we're, we're continuing to meet at, every week at Challenge and getting to just absorb God's word together and uh, connect with each other. And so I'm thrilled that you're here. Yeah, because like this is an opportune uh, moment for us to, to connect and to really see what God has for us. And so uh, I got a series that we're starting this week, tonight, right now, as I'm talking, uh, called The Truth About God, The Truth About God. And we're actually going to be going over this series for the rest of the semester. We got about like eight weeks left of the semester. How do we feel about that? Mm, we're not sure. We're not sure. We're not sure. But uh, yeah, so <laughs> we're going we're gonna to ride this out to the end of the semester because there's a lot to know about God, about who God is. And so let me, let me tee us off with a, a quote. It says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You might consider certain things to be important about you. And they probably are pretty important about you. Maybe your abilities or your accomplishments or your potential, your major, uh, if I could do backflips, like that would be an important part of me. You know, I'd be really excited about that. So maybe, you know, maybe that's you, but uh, and there's all kinds of things that are a part of our life, right? But no, but according to the Bible, God is the creator of life. He's the sustainer of life. And the way that you and I think about him, about God affects a lot of things. It affects especially how we act toward God and whether we rebel against him or worship him or anywhere in between, right? And so it's, it's huge, huge ramifications for our life and the way we live based on how we think about God. That's an important thing about us. A mistaken or low view of God results in a life that ultimately does, does not please him. A mistaken or low view of God results in a life that ultimately does not please him. And so let me read another quote. I'm going to be quoting this guy a lot, by the way. A.W. Tozer, he wrote lots of things. He's a theologian. And uh, this particular work called The Knowledge of the Holy, you'll be seeing a lot on the screen behind me. He says, or asks, what is God like? If by that question we mean, what is God like in himself? There is no answer. We just can't, we can't even know. We can't even understand that. But if we mean, what has God disclosed about himself that the reverent reason can comprehend? There is, I believe, an answer both full and satisfying. For while the name of God is secret and his essential nature incomprehensible, he, he in condescending love has by revelation declared certain things to be true of himself. These we call his attributes. And so this is a series about the attributes of God. So what is an attribute anyways? And so I got one more quote here. An attribute of God is whatever God has in any way revealed as being true of himself. 
things that God has revealed as being true about himself. Hence, the truth about God. That's what we're here to do for the next several weeks of our semester, the rest of our semester together. And so that's our goal. And, uh, oh shoot, (laughs) I was supposed to have my Bible up here with me to read this, but I have it right here. There it is, cool. We're good. (laughs) That wasn't supposed to happen. So I, I, uh, I have this in your handout though. This is just a chapter of the Bible. That's it. We're, keep it, we're keeping it simple tonight, you guys, okay? And so uh, I, do, I will have some other kind of, you know, things and notes to, to add in on this. You can feel free to take some notes in whatever way you want to. It's a little different than normal, though, if you're used to that. And there will be some kind of other little, you know, things on the back, on the, in the screen here. But let me go ahead and read this chapter for us. Psalm 90, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening, it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end with a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So Psalm 90 is about God's eternity and his infinitude. Verse two says this very plainly, from everlasting to everlasting, right? You are God. And another way that um, that author that I mentioned, he renders this, he says, from the vanishing point to the vanishing point. Picture that, right? Like on a horizon, I'm looking one direction, and I can see only to a certain point. And at some point, I, I, can't, I can't see any farther. It's a, there's a vanishing point. And then behind me, I can look 180 degrees. There, there it is, I can see somewhere, but then at some point it stops, but it keeps going, that horizon, right? I have another quote. The mind looks backward in time till the dim past vanishes, then turns and looks into the future till thought and imagination collapses from exhaustion. And God is at both points. 
unaffected by either. God is at both points in the timeline of history, on the timeline of time. (laughs) God is at both points unaffected by either. This is the eternity of God. He is outside of time. This is what we read about him in his word. So that's his eternity. What is infinitude? What is that? What is that? I don't know. Before I started reading about this, like I didn't even, I couldn't tell you what that word was. (laughs) But infinitude, if you kind of take off a couple letters, you see the word infinite, right? Or infinity. And so we kind of have an idea, right? To infinity and beyond, you know, there's this kind of like idea of, that's, that's the first thing, right? That comes to my mind. I was born in the 90s and you were not, I know. Uh, but Toy Story was a big deal. And so to infinity and beyond. Uh, and so that's, that's what we kind of see. That's God's infinity. So what's the difference between God's infinity and God's eternity? Well, another quote. Infinitude, Tozer says, means limitlessness. Limitlessness. And it is obviously impossible for a limited mind to grasp the unlimited, right? And so his eternity is his infinitude applied to time. And the infinitude of God, though, it applies to all of his attributes. It applies to his infinite love. God has infinite faithfulness. God has infinite holiness. And he has a bunch of other attributes that we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks that are infinite by by nature. And so in Psalms 90, we see God's infinitude on display in a variety of ways. And so as as we consider these ways that are gonna hopefully conjure up a response from us. So I want to just share with you kind of some things that I see of God's infinitude in these verses that I just read. So in that first verse, we see that God's infinite presence shelters us. God's infinite presence shelters us. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, it says. That first verse, you have been our dwelling place throughout generations, which means, you know, throughout generations, that means throughout time. From generation to generation, you and I, we, we are born, we live, we die, we pass on what we've created, and another generation occurs, right? And God exists and is a dwelling place in all generations. And so he, he's within that, we see him in that scope, but we also see him in the sense of he is omnipresent. He is present throughout generations and time, but he's also present around us all the time. And this is something called God's omnipresence. He is all present. He is everywhere all at once. And then this phrase, you have been our, been our dwelling place. This is referring to Israel. Our, it's like you have been Israel's dwelling place, Lord. God's people have taken refuge in God in the Old Testament, where this, where this quote, this passage is from. We have taken refuge in God. And so this imagery of, of God being a refuge or a dwelling or a shelter or a stronghold. See, he, he is unlike those things in the sense that he is not bound by physical space. We use these words like, like you know, he is like a stronghold to refer to things that we can think of and understand and try to kind of create a metaphor to ide- get an idea of who God is. Um, 
but he's not bound by physical space, like a shelter or a dwelling. And in Psalm 73, it says this, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. The nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works, the psalmist says. As for me, the nearness of God is my good. See, God, God is everywhere, right? But in order to truly take refuge in him, we have to trust him. We have to trust in him in the same way that we might trust in a stronghold to protect us, right? If you want to be defended or protected from an army, you go into a castle, right? You got the, got the big walls, you got the moat, you're safe, you're protected, but you need to trust in that castle to keep you safe lest you wander outside of that castle and uh, can be harmed. Or we can also, you know, we need to come under the shelter to be protected from a storm. Did any of you get hailed on today? It's pretty crazy. That's pretty fun, kind of, if you, unless you were in it. I was inside, so uh, it was fun for me. But, uh, you know, you're only protected from the hail or the storm if you place yourself under the protection of the shelter, if you trust in the shelter to protect you from that. So God is infinitely present and he's infinitely capable of sheltering you. God is infinitely present and infinitely capable of sheltering you. He is trustworthy. And so our response to this should be to draw near to him in prayer and in trust. Draw near to God in prayer and trust. God's infinite presence shelters us. And the next thing I see here is that God's infinite sovereignty rules us. God's infinite sovereignty rules over us. You see, in verse three of Psalm 90, it says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. This is, this is kind of strange, okay? <laughs> I mean, it, well, one, it has this kind of dust imagery, which we don't usually think about too often, but I mean, it's talking about like God controls like who lives and who dies, you know? We live one day, we die the next. Uh, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, we read in God's word. And so he does that. <laughs> you return, God, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. This is uncomfortable. This is an uncomfortable reality for us to deal with, right? But God's, God's in control and he's in charge. And this is hard for you and I to grasp, hard for us to deal with. And I think most of why that that's, that's hard is because uh, we're selfish, <laughs> okay? We're selfish and we think that we should be in charge, right? And we want to be able to control our own destiny. But God, God's sovereign. He's the one in control ultimately. That's what, we, that's what we learn about him. As we'll look at later, God is loving, okay? God is gracious to us. But this, his will is simply beyond our understanding and control. Daniel 4.35 says, all the inhabitants of the earth, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And God does according to his will. God does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Like, have you ever, have you ever asked that? What have you done, God, you know? 
something, something hard happens, and this is, this is tough. This is tough for us to deal with. But nobody can say, can really say, what have you done? Because he doesn't answer to us. <laughs> it takes a humble and sobered mind to acknowledge that God is God and I am not. So humble yourself before him and you will experience a greater peace about his work in your life and in the world. As we grow, and, and this is, this is it's important, as we grow in understanding God's goodness, okay, and our own sinfulness, there is a comfort, okay, in knowing that God is God and I'm not. The more that you go in your spiritual journey and your walk with God, the more you come to realize, wow, how good God is and how desperate and sinful I am by nature, that you are by nature, and how important it is for him to be in control and for me to not be in control. And, and that's what we learn over time through humility by submitting ourselves under his rule. God is sovereign. He is infinite. His so infinite sovereignty rules us. Next, God's infinite knowledge searches us. God's infinite knowledge searches us. Verse eight says, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. So think to yourself of a secret sin that you have done. Just, just think about that. Don't tell me, I don't, you know, we don't need to, we don't need to talk about that tonight, but God knows about that. That thing that you just came up with, God knows about that thing. And that's because God is omniscient. That's another, another attribute of his. He's all-knowing. He knows everything, even the darkest, deepest things that you haven't told anybody. Psalm 139 says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. All your ways God is familiar with, okay? The good ways, he's familiar with the bad ways. He's familiar with the ugly ways, okay? And in the Bible, we're told to walk in the light. Walk in the light, it says, as he is in the light. We're not told that so that God can see us because he already, he already can see you. Warts and all, right? He can already see us, but we're told to walk in the light so that we can stop fooling ourselves about our own secrecy, right? As we, and we also walk in the light so that other people can help us, that we can invite other people in to that. But we need to be honest in response to this truth. We need to be honest with God because there is no hiding anything from him. And we need to be honest with other people in order to bring them in and to get their help. We are interdependent upon other people. We need them. And so, uh, and especially as members of the body of Christ, we are inter interdependent on each other to, uh, to experience the life that God wants for us. You can just jot this down. I'm not even gonna quote it, but 1 John 1, 7. 1 John 1, 7 really speaks to this truth that I've just shared. But I have a lot more uh, points to get through. God's, the next one is God's infinite timeline teaches us. 
God's infinite timeline teaches us. Verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. See, once again, God is eternal and he does not have a timeline. When I say that God's infinite timeline, like that's just, that kind of doesn't really make any sense because there is no point A and point B. God is, as the Bible calls him, the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. And so everything exists within him, all constraints of time, right? Exists within him and he is eternal. So when we think about the finitude of life, the finitude of life, right? We live, we're born, we live and we die. Compared with the infinitude of reality, that should cause us to think. Comparing the finitude of life with the infinitude of reality, that should cause us to to get our gears turning. And uh, one thing that makes me think about this is one of my favorite albums, I think of all time, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, It's called Our Endless Numbered Days. And uh, this album, this is like kind of a folk album, uh, and it has this kind of bittersweet tone to it as it explores how in some ways life, especially when you're young, (laughs) life feels endless, right? And full of possibilities in some moments. And at other moments, we realize, or we come to grips with the fact that life on earth inevitably ends. Life on earth inevitably ends. Our days are numbered. And so the artist who made the album, he is not even a Christian, but you know, he swings at a particularly poignant eternal truth, right? And so when we grow in our relationship to and knowledge of God in his endlessness, that only enhances our understanding and wisdom in light of eternity, right? Teach us to number our days, God, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So according to this verse, learning from God's eternity leads to wisdom, which leads to a life well-lived. Learning from God's eternity leads to to wisdom, which leads to a life well-lived. And Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says this, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Not as fools, but as wise. God's infinite timeline teaches us. Next, God's infinite love satisfies us. God's infinite love satisfies us. Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Things are looking up now, okay? We're, you know, this is is a little easier to deal with. So God's love, right, it's infinite and it's also unknowable, but, but the more that we grasp it, the more that we learn more about him, learn more he, more he teaches us about himself and about his love, the more fulfilling our life becomes. And so in Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, it says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge 
that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Does that even like, I don't know, make sense? (laughs) To know this love that surpasses knowledge. Like how can you, right? (laughs) How can you know something that surpasses knowledge? That doesn't make any sense to me, honestly. But we are instructed essentially here to make that attempt, to make that attempt to grasp, to to know the volume of God's immeasurable love. This is so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, that he might satisfy you entirely in this life and in the next. And in Romans uh, 8, verses 38 and 39, I don't have this up here, but you can write that. It talks about how nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate us from God's love, right? It is too wide, it's too long and high and deep to be contained or limited or extinguished. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And most importantly, there is no sin that you could commit that would make God stop loving you. God's love is infinite. There is no sin that you could commit that would make God stop loving you. His arms are open wide if only you would run to him and ask him to satisfy you. His arms are open wide. So God's infinite love satisfies us. Next, God's infinite power enables us. God's infinite power enables us. We find in verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. When I read this this whole chapter, right, in light of eternity, right, we, we start, I start thinking about eternity and how, how finite my days are, right? And in some ways, it's easy to think about how, how futile everything that we're doing on earth really is, right? In light of eternity, doing things on earth can seem futile. And indeed, a lot of the things that you and I do, that people do, are futile, <laughs> They're things that we just sort of do for entertainment's sake or just, they're just empty in nature and they have no eternal significance. And that's, that's scary. It's like, I don't want to do something, you know. I want what I do to have, to have value beyond this life. I don't know about you. I want what I do to have value beyond this life. And God, you see, is all powerful. He is omnipotent. That's another attribute. All-powerful. He's omnipotent. He has infinite power that can actually inject our lives and our work and our deeds with success and with purpose. God's power injects our lives and work and deeds with success and with purpose. And in Ephesians 2, verse 10, it says, we are God's handiwork, or God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a plan for what you do and how you do it. And he has the strength to, he has strength to spare to empower you for it. And so in order for your, for us to like really experience the kind of eternal significance 
and success that we want to have in this life that, that, that has value in the next life. We need to call on God for the supernatural enablement to carry out, to carry out your day-to-day tasks with excellence in the way that honors God. And also ask him, ask God to direct you in doing things that have eternal significance. Ask God to direct you into doing things that have eternal significance. So I want to kind of wrap up by by talking about something outside of this chapter. But uh, God's infinite grace saves us. Perhaps most importantly here, God's infinite grace saves us. See, at the time that Psalm 90 was written, this was in the Old Testament, God was still working in his, the nation of Israel among the nations. And God's plan for redemption was still unfolding. And it wasn't certain how it was gonna, how it was gonna come out. There was still a problem, you see, because humanity was broken and trapped in the finitude of life. And there was no way for us to bridge the gap between us and the eternal, perfect, infinite God. That's our problem. That's our problem. And God actually, he's designed us. He, God designed humanity to experience eternal life, which leads us in our mortality, in our state of not eternal life, in our state of, we're, we're longing for that. In Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11, it says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has set eternity in the human heart. He has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He has set eternity in your heart to, to if you have not received him as your Lord, as your savior, to beckon you toward him. We, we have this longing within us for meaning, for significance for something beyond what this life can offer us. And so eternity eternity lies within the human heart, but we have corrupted that heart through our sin. In Romans 6, 23, it tells us, for the wages of sin is death, eternal death. But the gift of God, the grace of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so God has made a way for you and I as broken creatures longing for eternity to have relationship with him so that we can actually, he, he has bridged that gap between us in our mortality with his infinitude, with his, with his infinite love and faithfulness and all these other things. Tozer writes, out of eternity, our Lord came into time to rescue his human brethren whose moral folly had made them not only fools of the passing world, but slaves of sin and death as well. Read that first, that first part again. Out of eternity, God in his eternal nature, out of eternity, God, our Lord came into time through Jesus. Out of eternity, our Lord came into time. That is crazy, Okay. Jesus, God's son, was sent into time on our behalf. 
That's incredible. So I pray that you would make the choice to honor Jesus as the Lord of your life so that you can reconnect with God, right? And experience all the fellowship and the blessings that we've discussed tonight. And so I wanna close with a couple more quotes here to really just help these things to resound in in our hearts. So as he writes, God's infinitude belongs to us. God's infinitude belongs to us and is made known to us for our everlasting profit. That is his gift that he's given us. That's the gift of his grace that he has given us. And finally, how completely satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. How completely satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for out of eternity choosing to step into our time, our timeline, our failure and corruption, the ways that we've twisted and distorted what you've given us, Lord, in your creation. Father, I ask that you would reveal to us more of yourself for those of us who have not chosen to follow you yet. I pray that that would would happen tonight. Reveal to us what's wrong in our hearts, the ways that we're seeing you in in a misunderstood way, Lord. So reveal that and reveal through your, through your truth, through your scriptures, Lord, the things that we need to, to reckon with and understand and, and cling to that would lead us to a life that is totally satisfactory and totally glorifying to you. And so let that be so in each heart and in, among us in our community as we reckon with who you are over the next several weeks, I pray that that would lead us to decisions and responses that would honor you and ultimately multiply our lives into the lives of the rest of your creation, your humanity, that you have placed eternity into their hearts. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen.